0: Welcome
1: to BlitzCast,
0: an NFL Draft Podcast,
1: brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt.
2: Welcome to another episode of BlitzCast, everyone. And we are going to start with the top five NFL power ranking. Ed is going to do his power five ranking, and then I'll just I'll chime in. I'll give you know my teams that I think should be there or shouldn't be there. So Ed, let's start with the number five team in the NFL as we sit here currently.
3: Well, I think my number five is the uh, Seattle Seahawks, and um, I, th- I think m- the majority of the reason for that is uh, just the way that Russell Wilson has played. I mean, I think he's in the MVP conversation. I do have my questions about the, uh, about the Seahawks secondary. But I mean, as far as as far as you know what Russell Wilson's been able to do with this offense, I mean we've seen how DK Metcalf has emerged and Tyler Lockett. So I mean this is this is a good team that can throw the ball.
2: This is a great offensive team, especially what they're doing in terms of their passing because they have Russell and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, like you said. But I've got question marks about their defense. I mean, do you trust their defense? Because the Bills just scored 44 points on them. I mean, the Seahawks fell behind. It's not only their secondary, to be honest with you. It's their entire defense. Even though they were able to get to Josh Allen and sack him, I think they got about six or seven sacks against the Bills this past Sunday. But I just think their defense is a huge question mark, and you know this. I mean, unless you're playing good defense down the stretch, you're not going to go far in the playoffs. Well, I'm okay with the Seahawks front seven. I think it, for
3: me, for me, it's really, it's really having the secondary. I mean, it's not the Legion of Boom back there.
2: Bavada Sportsbook has the Seahawks as a one and a half point underdogs versus the LA Rams who are at home this week. All right, let's get to your number four team on the list.
3: You know, this is the team I picked to win the Super Bowl, and I think they've kind of fallen on my power rankings. Um, I don't think they've dominated like they they have, you know, that, that I thought they would. I thought they'd be. But I think they are the best team in the NFC. And uh, that's, the, that's the New Orleans Saints. I mean, they still kind of have that same skeleton of the team. You know, Drew Brees-led team,
2: Alvin Kamara, you know, Taysom Hill, bring him in for a few plays. Well, they certainly do. I mean, the Saints, look at what they did against the Bucks. And this is the second time this season that they've beaten the Bucs because uh, they, they did it during the opening weekend and they did it again. If the Saints play against the Bucs every week, the Saints will win the Super Bowl because they seem to have their number. It's the rest of the NFL teams that they have to face that they're having some trouble with. But the Saints' defense was good against the Bucks, and they're getting healthy. I mean, Michael Thomas was back for the first time in a while since week one. And then Emmanuel Sanders seemed to, seems to be getting in the groove of things. So Drew Brees has a lot more weapons at his disposal that's only going to make Sean Payton's group more lethal down the stretch. And I like what I'm seeing from their defense. I mean, to to hold the Bucs to three points is a feat in itself because the Bucs have a lot of weapons. We know they do. Surprise us. Who is your um, number three team in the NFL Power Rankings?
3: Well, I'm gonna go with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I th- I think they've really stepped up this year. You know, I I I really thought this was the Patriots division, but the way the way the Buffalo Bills have played, I mean, they're really one of the best teams in the NFL. And you know, Josh Allen is, I mean, like you said on a previous podcast, he's he's really emerged. Um, um, I think right now he's a top five quarterback in the NFL as a third year quarterback.
2: That's a strong statement, and he's certainly in the MVP race. I mean, we've been throwing different names around, but Josh Allen is in the top five in terms of the MVP race. He deserves to be there. I mean, they just they put 44 points on the Seahawks this past Sunday, and that, that's a feat in itself. And having a number one weapon like Stephon Diggs is, is certainly huge for a quarterback like Josh Allen. And you know that they still have that defense i mean sean mcdermott's group always comes up with the great stingy game plan on the defensive side of the ball and i can certainly see this team winning 12 or 13 games but i don't have the bills in the top five i don't i'm guess i'm still disrespecting them in the way they lost to the titans they lost to the chiefs two of the better teams in the afc and i can't put the bills ahead of them even though they're seven and two it's a great record to have I still can't put them ahead of the Titans and the Chiefs all right number two I'm curious are you gonna go with your team I have the Steelers as my number
3: two team and I mean I think the Steelers are probably the most balanced team in the NFL I mean just the fact is is that they've got someone you know who can do the job at every position you know maybe save maybe the offensive line I'm still a little concerned there you know, and 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 this team just knows how to win games. I mean, Mike Tomlin has figured out how to win in the NFL. I think now that he's 8-0, I mean, if they lose all their games this year, I mean, it'll still be another season where Mike Tomlin has gone without having a losing season. So Ben Roethlisberger is probably an average NFL quarterback right now, but he's getting the job done. He's commanding the offense. He's being a veteran quarterback, and their defense is really stepping up, creating turnovers, and, you know, just playing a physical brand of football. And I think that's what's helping them win games.
2: Is this the best Steelers team in the past four or five years?
3: Gosh, I mean, they've had they've had so many teams that, you know, just had so much talent. And I think sometimes it was like, it was Brady or it was... Um, Mahomes or somebody you know that kind of stood in the way and I I feel like there's not really a team that's in the way this year there's one where where I'm going to mention but I just don't feel like there's there's that like uh, competition in the AFC like they've had in years past Um, I still think the AFC is the better conference I'm
2: curious why aren't they uh, featuring Juju more I just feel like he's still their number one weapon. I realize that Chase Claypool has come on this year and Deontay Johnson has had his moments and they still haven't forgotten about James Washington. But why is Juju not being looked upon as the number one receiver in this offense?
3: Well, I think I think one of the things about Juju is he's played this number one role. And his stats have really gone down, and his you know his targets have really gone down because teams are just trying to take him out of the game. Chase Claypool really emerged, and all of a sudden Chase Claypool was putting gaudy numbers up. It 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 made it made it so that basically they had to they had to cover Chase Claypool, and that's why you know Juju Smith Schuster had things open up for him. But I think the real benefit of the Steelers wide receiver core is you can't cover both, you know. You know, I, th- I I like what I've seen from James Washington. I mean, he's he's more of a he's more of a role player. And uh, Deontay Johnson, I mean, he 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 not he I don't think he's becoming the player they thought he would be. But I mean, he he's 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 had a lot of bumps and bruises, and he still he still has a lot of speed. And I think they can use him a lot on the underneath. I actually kind of like I kind of like the way they use him in the slot use his speed and I I, I'm just I'm not not ready to give up on Deontay Johnson especially if a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster moves on you know for for right now it's it's really a one-two punch with Claypool and and Juju Smith-Schuster and if you cover one then you got to face the other and that's what's happening with this offense
2: well the Steelers are number two in your power rankings so I know where you're going with it at number one
3: Yeah I I just can't argue with Patrick Mahomes. I mean the way he beat Baltimore this year the fact of the matter is is that he is the most dominant player in this league. I mean he is the he is the superstar and he's got enough pieces you know to to make himself successful and um, that that defense you know what they do is they do just enough to win games. You know they don't they they rely on Mahomes to put up a lot of points and then you know the defense just has to make a few stops and that's how they win games, and they do it against anybody. If you, if you want to beat the Chiefs, if you want to win a Super Bowl in this league, you got to figure out how to stop Mahomes. Right now, I don't think there's a team that's consistently doing it.
2: All right, my top five, number one, Kansas City Chiefs. Number two, the Steelers. I have the Saints at number three. I have the Bucks at number four. I still do, even though they are 6-3 and three and they lost to the Saints really badly this past week. And I have the Titans at number five. I'm surprised you and I don't have the Ravens in the top five. What are your questions in terms of Baltimore that they miss out on this top five here? It's a good question. I, I, I put Baltimore
3: in my honorable
2: mention. I, I don't think there's necessarily
3: a thing that really is weak about Baltimore. I just don't think Lamar Jackson is like dominating the league like he did last year. You know, No one knew how to stop him last year, and I think teams know how to They're not stopping him, but they're containing him a little bit more than they have in years past.
2: Well, defensive coordinators have a lot more tape on him, and absolutely. I mean, they're designing game plans around it, and they're trying to make him a pocket passer so he can hurt them from the pocket instead of his legs. They're spying him more and trying to turn him into that pocket quarterback, so absolutely. I mean, you have, what, a full season to kind of study, and you know what you're getting from Lamar, and... And now he's got to figure out a way to to be better, to elevate himself. And he hasn't done that against the better teams in the, in the NFL. All right, let's talk about another quarterback. Let's talk about Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert, rookie quarterback. He's playing really well, Ed. And I have to give you props because you stuck with him through the good, through the bad. You believed in your evaluation and... Justin Herbert is lighting it up right now during his rookie season.
3: I I really I really thought, I mean, this kid, you know, came in from a sophomore to a senior year. I think he took a lot of time to develop at Oregon. I think he really developed himself. And when he got when he got to be a draft prospect, I thought I thought if he come out as a junior, he would have been the number one pick overall. He waited till his senior year. You know what? I I think he could have done it as a, as a, you know his senior year. I think he could have come out a year earlier. I think this kid has all the tools. He has a strong arm. He has the accuracy among the arm talent. I think he's a smart quarterback. I think he's a quarterback that prepares hard. I think he's a quarterback that keeps himself in good shape. I mean, I think he I think he's gonna be uh. You know, a top 10 quarterback in this league for a long time. I mean, this is this is going to be a, a a name that's going to stay in the league. And, you know, if, I, if I'm the Chargers, I mean, I'm I'm really happy with what I have in Herbert. And now I just got to build a team around him. You know, I think that's that's really where they are. I mean, they've got some pieces on defense. You try to improve in some spots. I think you you have some pieces to help him, but yeah, I mean, I I think the Chargers have a good future ahead. I mean, things are only going to get better for Herbert, and I think you now you can, you know, once you once you have a franchise quarterback, you can you can start drafting the rest of your team. You know, you can start building up your roster, and that's really what the Chargers need to do.
2: So Burrow went number one overall to the Bengals. Tua was picked number five to the Miami Dolphins. Justin Herbert won six to the Chargers. He basically fell into their laps and and they took him. And they're happy that they did because right now he's the favorite for the Rookie of the Year award. He's thrown for over 2,100 passing yards. Uh, His touchdown to interception ratio is 17 to 5. Burrow has thrown for over 100 yards more, but his interception to touchdown ratio is 11 to 5. So Herbert is just He's been one of the better deep ball throwers. He's been able to, to find those weapons. When he gets in trouble, he looks towards Keenan Allen, who's one of the best receivers in the league, spreads the ball around. I, I really love what I'm seeing. The only thing is the Chargers are doing him a disservice. I mean, Herbert is playing well, but the defense hasn't played well. They've blown some leads. The offensive line is, is bad. I mean, they need some help up front. For Herbert, I get the feeling that Anthony Lynn won't be around next year, so Herbert will have a new head coach and and possibly a new offensive system. And it's never good when you change coaches. You you want to have stability for these young quarterbacks, and it seems like the Chargers will be looking for a new head coach this week. Uh, according to Bavada, uh, the Dolphins are facing off against the Chargers, and the Dolphins are a three-point favorite at home but again I give you credit because you stuck up for Herbert there were many questions around him but I think the question that I think people should ask is that Oregon offense and just that scheme didn't do him any favors he just ran that system to the best of his ability but he was never asked to to do much more like throw the deep ball more consistently and uh, you know run with the football you know use his dual threat ability and the Chargers are just utilizing him and in the best possible way. And I think a lot of people are scratching their heads that, you know, why didn't we pull the trigger on Justin Herbert? He had it all. He had the arm. He had the, the athleticism. He had the dual threat ability, the running ability, and he was accurate. He didn't make mistakes. He was a good kid. I guess the the knock on him was he's a quiet guy. He's not one of those raw rah type of guys. But you know what? Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. He was never the raw rah guy. So I give you credit on this. You stuck to your guns, and, and Herbert is playing really well, and I'll be shocked if he doesn't win Rookie of the Year. All right, let's get to our first guest. Uh, his name is Zach Goodall. He covers Florida football for Sports Illustrated, allgators.com. He will help us recap the game between Florida versus Georgia. Zach, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. Um, glad you guys are having me on. I'm excited to talk to Florida football.
2: Be honest with us, Zach. Uh, when Georgia jumped out to that lead, 14 to nothing, did you think it was going to be a blowout? Um, I didn't think
0: it was going to be a blowout. I'll tell you what, though. Um, there are a lot of Florida fans that are mad at an associated press reporter uh, for pretty much saying that the game was done at that point. Uh, it was a good, nice uh, cold take. But at the same time, I guarantee you every single fan, and myself included, felt the exact same way. The second, that the scoreboard hit 14-0. What's been the key to Florida success this year? Oh, it's been Kyle Trask. I guess you can give a multitude of factors and sum it up basically as the passing offense. And we all know Dan Mullen is a great play caller. He's very creative with his passing concepts. And they've got a ton of weapons. They've got Kyle Trask and they've got Kadarius Toney, which is truly one of the most dynamic duos in football. But at the same time, there's one consistent factor within this passing game, no matter who they spread the ball around to or what positions they utilize. it's, It's Kyle Trask. He's really grown and cemented himself in the starting role with a lot of confidence after going, I guess, nearly seven years without starting a single game since he was on his freshman team in high school. And he's poised, he's confident, he corrects his mistakes uh any time he makes one. This offense, you know, they like to put another quarterback from time to time. Uh they put in Anthony Richardson, a freshman who's true dual threat. They've done it with Emory Jones this year and in the past. And we like we like the idea of a two quarterback system and utilizing mobile Russian quarterbacks, but at this point it just hurts the offense. You can't you can't take Kyle Trask out at this point. He's playing too good.
2: How do you compare Kyle Trask to the the great quarterbacks that you guys have had in the past, Tim Tebow, Danny Warfel, and we could go back even further, you know, Rob Johnson. How do you compare him with, with those all time greats? Well,
0: I'll definitely want to see how the how the rest of the season goes. He's in the Heisman conversation, a person think he cemented himself into the ring. Is he the winner, the clear cut winner at this point? I I don't know. I don't think so, because you still have the Trevor Lawrence's of college football. You have the Justin Fields of college football. You've also got the coronavirus factor this year, and you've got to figure out exactly how they're going to grade these these types of awards out and how they're going to do it. At this point, Caltras absolutely deserves to be in the running for the Heisman, and if you get to that point where he might win it, or at least he gets the virtual invitation to New York, then you're definitely talking about him being up in that group of quarterbacks. I mean. The fact they've got the three statues outside of the stadium for their Heisman-winning quarterbacks, and there's genuine buzz that there could be a fourth one. And I know for a fact that Florida fans haven't felt like that in a long time.
2: Let's talk about this week's game against the Razorback. It it looks like tight end Kyle Pitts is questionable, and it's highly unlikely that he will play. Arkansas has been showing life this year under their new head coach. Uh, Will the Gators have a letdown after the big win? What do you think?
0: I personally don't think so. I think they're going to come out and I think they will win this game, but I've been telling people, you know, in the season, we I'm sure everyone kind of thought that this is another one of those Vanderbilt-heavy games. It's one of the doormats of the SEC, and all you needed to do was watch one game, maybe two games of this Arkansas team, and you realize this is not the Arkansas of the past. They, they went with a quarterback that has experience trying to help rebuild the program, although he's not been perfect in either spot. Felipe Franks Played really good football for Sam Pittman. They paired that with, you know, some really nice weapons that we hadn't seen other quarterbacks be able to take advantage of in that offense. And then defensively, you've got a great defensive coordinator, a former head coach Barry Odom, and he'll be serving as the interim head coach this week. Pittman dealing with COVID nineteen himself. They, I believe, they forced a total of fifteen turnovers this year, eleven of them being interceptions. And while I think, like I was saying earlier, you know, Kyle Trask, I think he's definitely in the highest of running. But if there's one thing you'll point to in almost every game this year, there's just that one throw. Maybe two, but one or two throws where it's either intercepted or nearly intercepted, and maybe it could change the game. We, we saw that late in the Georgia game this past weekend where he nearly threw an interception that could have made it a six-point game. Arkansas is a team that will take advantage of it. They, they're up there with the cops in the SEC in terms of creating turnovers, and they've talked about it all offseason because Florida's defense has been hit or miss. It's improved, but we've seen the struggles throughout the year. They strive for perfect offense to make up for a not great defense. And while Arkansas may not be an Alabama-type team, they'll sneak up on you and they'll get you defensively, so they're going to have to play that perfect type of offensive football in order to put this game to bed.
2: Well, you know, Felipe Franks is going to have that chip on his shoulder because he was the starting quarterback last year for Florida before he went down with an injury, and then Trask took over. So do you think having that factor, Felipe Franks, is the starting quarterback at Arkansas? you think that's going to help the Razorbacks in this game? Without
0: a doubt. He's he's energetic. Um, I'll tell you, Florida's just as energetic. And while Franks has certainly had his antics, and he was hit or miss at times with uh, the fan base here. I know that the entire team had a lot of respect for him. Uh, They're excited to see him as a friend, but they're also excited because he is a guy that gets pretty easily motivated. He likes to chirp. I know for a fact that a couple of defenders are looking forward to the idea of hitting him at the same time within the game. It should be an emotional one considering that factor, and considering Felipe has been playing a lot better, he can do things that can not hurt a Florida defense, like take the top off of a poor safety room. He might come out and have himself a really big game and make this one interesting.
2: Well, Bovada has Florida as a 17-point favorite versus Arkansas this week. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that at all.
3: Do you think Florida will win the table and play in the SEC Championship game this year?
0: Yeah, I, I think they should. I mean, like I said, with I think Arkansas definitely covers that 17. But I do think Florida wins this game. And it could be a pretty handy, handily win, even if Arkansas is able to cover. But with that being said, it's, it's definitely not that difficult of a schedule down the stretch. You're going to have to go and play. You have to play Kentucky at home, and that's going to be a tough one because they've got a stingy defense. But it's certainly one that they should be favored in every game the rest of the way out. And they've practically got a two-game lead over Georgia at this point within the division. As long as they can maintain that, as long as they can keep sticking to their brand of football and winning football games, they they should have no problem getting to the SEC championship. Take it a step
3: further, do you see the Gators in the college
0: football playoffs? Again, it's it's like the high uh, consideration. I do want to see how these rankings are created in such a weird, weird year. With that being said, if there's two SEC teams that make it to the playoffs, yes, I think Florida does. If not, I don't think so. I think this is a very, very good football team, but based off of what I've seen through five games, I don't think they have what it takes to overcome Bama. I think they can match scores with Bama, but it's just one or two mistakes to the Crimson Tide that will end up coming back to bite you. And for those capable of having those mistakes, whether it's one or two on offense that'll bite you or just a bad game defensively. We've seen that out of them, and I just don't know. They would need a little bit of luck to go their way right now if they were to end up beating the Crimson Tide, in my opinion.
3: Zach, um, can you tell our listeners where they can find your work?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You guys can find everything I do uh, just by following me on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. Uh, You can find all my written work at allgators.com, part of Sports Illustrated covering the Florida Gators, as well as I podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. We do the Lockdown Gators podcast, so make sure to go check that out.
2: Zach, it was a pleasure having you on.
0: Yeah, thank you guys for having me
2: the big game this past weekend was Notre Dame upsetting Clemson in, in double overtime it was just it was a defining win for Brian Kelly and Ian Book the quarterback and you know Notre Dame they moved from number 4 to number 2 in the AP polls now it was a great win and just I don't think you and I expected it but we had a guy on the show Brian Driscoll who who called the upset and it happened I mean,
3: I think there are two factors that really played into this game. Uh, number one, I mean, the fact is is that Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence, and the score would look a lot different if, if Clemson had Trevor Lawrence. And I, I think the other thing was is that this game was in South Bend, and just to be honest with you, I mean, to play it's easier to play defense when the crowd's cheering you on. One of the things that uh, Brian hit on, and I think there's really a theme that I saw in this game, is, is that this Notre Dame team is playing great defense. and you know this uh, guy Awusu Koromoa, uh, linebacker. Um, you know he's he's really looking more and more like a day one or a day two guy, and and he's he's really helped lead this Notre Dame defense.
2: Yeah, the defense has been great, but I think what helped the Irish is on opening play the Irish scored on a 65 yard run for the touchdown by Kyron Williams. I mean that was huge. That that took the pressure off off of that offense and they said to themselves hey we can score on Clemson and then the Irish shut down ETN especially on the ground I mean they took him away he wasn't able to get going and when Clemson took that lead with three and a half minutes left in the game Ian Book had that that drive where he threw that game time touchdown with 22 seconds left in the game that was huge he had his best game in the irish uniform i give him credit for that and this week the irish are facing off against the the boston college eagles and bovada has the irish as a 13 and a half point favorite against bc it's going to be an interesting game because you can't have that slip up you know you're riding high right now and notre dame has to come out and play on all cylinders and BC is a dangerous team. I mean, they've got a sophomore wide receiver in Zay Flowers who can make some plays downfield. They've got Hunter Long, a tight end, junior tight end, who is going to be one of the, the top tight ends in, in the 2021 NFL draft. And they've got a quarterback that went to Notre Dame for a couple of years, Phil Jurkovic, who is the starting quarterback at BC right now. Brian Kelly picked Ian Book over Jurkovic. And we're going to see. I mean, he's he's going to try to prove to the entire world, and I can upset you guys even after you you beat the best team in the land at Clemson. And I'm sure we're going to see a rematch. We're going to see a rematch between Notre Dame and Clemson in the ACC Championship game, and, and in that game, Trevor Lawrence would be playing.
3: Yeah, I mean, another thing to know is this is a rivalry game. Both Boston College and Notre Dame are both Jesuit schools and so you know maybe Boston College and hockey would probably say BU is their rival but when you talk about Boston College football the you know their rival is is the is the Notre Dame fighting Irish and you know Notre, Notre Dame has to get up for this game for sure I mean BC was the team that almost beat Clemson so they are they are an upset worthy team I ultimately think this will be the Irish game though
2: so we have another interview on tap. We're joined by Ryan Abraham. He's the owner and publisher of USCfootball.com. You guessed it. He covers the Trojans. Ryan, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, thanks so much. Yeah, I never thought about that, USCfootball.com. Like, he covers the UCLA Bruins. Like, no, but that's uh, that's what I've been doing for a man over 20 years now.
2: You know, right off the bat, we want to get your take on that improbable comeback win against arizona state what do you think about the opening game
4: yeah you know we just didn't know what to expect with the 10 and a half months off and it was different preparation for all the teams in the pac-12 arizona had much different health restrictions than california and herm edwards was able to was able to work the coaches and the players in large groups on the practice field all summer which typically isn't allowed but the ncaa did allow it because they everyone lost spring practice and so they were doing about a hundred hours worth the work with coaches and players on the field where USC was trying to work out in groups of 12, not really using footballs. And it was just such a different environment over the summer. And then, you know, for the last six weeks or so, everyone got to work out about the same, but I thought it was a pretty big advantage for Arizona State. And having it the first game out of the gate, 9 a.m., I thought that would be something that would take USC to kind of take a little time to get over. And it looked like it did. I mean, they turned the ball over, you know, four times. They had a couple of turnovers on downs. But for the most part, you know, you saw them move the football and you saw the defense limit Arizona State's passing game. The problem was they gave up a lot of yards on the ground. And in the end, though, it was that last three minutes flurry that was just so improbable that USC ends up uh, winning the game. Two fourth down conversions, four touchdowns, one of them a tip pass, one of them a fingertip catch. You had to get an onside kick in between the two of those things. So, yeah, by the time the end of the game came around, it just looked like Arizona State, Arizona State was certainly good to win, and then USC pulls out that that miracle, and it's really important because there's only six games. So you lose one of them like that, it's going to be really tough to get over because they're probably the primary uh, rival in the Pac-12 out this year, Arizona State. So for USC to get that win out of the gate was a it was a really big uh, result.
3: Do you think a win like that will inspire the Trojans to win the Pac-12 this year?
4: I mean, if you just look at the 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 league and look at the schedule that USC has with compared to what they had before. I mean, what teams were lopped off the schedule? You don't play Alabama. You don't play Notre Dame. You don't play Oregon. You don't play Washington. You don't play Cal. Like, all those teams are gone in Stanford, too. What was left, you got, okay, Arizona State could be pretty good. Utah lost a lot from last year. Washington State won the first week. Maybe they're all right. But it really was a, a much easier path to win the Pac-12 this year for USC. They, there's no reason they shouldn't go 6-0 in their you know, regular season, quote-unquote. And then, you know, we'll see who comes out of the North if they're able to play all those games. But yeah, I I think it's they're the most talented team in the Pac-12. They had the most coming back. Uh, They had continuity on the offensive side of the ball, and they should have upgraded special teams and defense. So I think they should win the Pac-12. But as you saw on Saturday, they were very fortunate to win that game. So I'm sure they could have some other scares along the way, and they might not be as lucky at the end and be able to pull it out.
3: So USC hasn't been up to par the last few years. What do you think the biggest problems been over the past few years?
4: I mean, you have to start with leadership. And I think just in the athletic department, you look at the kind of hires you make at the top, and usually that's trickling down, right? They had Mike Garrett, who was in the athletic department back in the day, but he was, you know, he was a Heisman Trophy winner. They hired a former football player to be the AD. And they follow that up with Pat Hayden, another former football player, no athletic director experience. And then they follow that up with Lynn Swan. Uh, I mean, he had no experience at all, and really the, the resume didn't match up to what the AD job would be. And I think when you start doing that, you start making these bad hires as, as, as coaches too. And you know, we saw Clay Helton was a very you know, peculiar choice as far as he didn't have a resume to be the head coach at maybe Memphis, let alone USC. And the Trojans took a chance on him simply because he was already there. And I think that's been part of the problem is they just haven't had good leadership to bring in people from outside that you would trust and say, hey, we, we can identify this person as an up and coming coach or a clearly established coach. And we want him to come and, you know, to one of the top five programs of the country and lead the team to a national championship. And USC just hasn't done that. They were just hiring people they knew like Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian. And with Clay Helton, that was someone that didn't even have any head coaching experience. So to me, that's been the biggest issue. Clay Helton is one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to talk to. And, uh, you know, as far as covering, he's been, he's been great for us in the media. But I don't think he's a national championship quality coach. And you're starting to see the team, you know, perform at that level as far as on the recruiting front. They had the worst recruiting class we've ever seen in 2020. Um, You know, we'll see how they do this year. But I don't don't think he is the the answer. And unfortunately, Lin Swan signed him to a really long extension that was fully guaranteed and a a raise and all that. So right now, with the financial viability of the athletic department, it's going to be tough to make a change anyway. So, yeah, I think coaching is the biggest issue that USC's had over the last several years. All right,
2: that leads me to my next question. Uh, what does Clay Helton need to do this season in order to keep his job?
4: I think he can. He's fine as long as he doesn't implode. Really, I mean, I don't. It's hard to picture a scenario getting fired in 2020. They already beat ASU, which is you could argue is the toughest game. Um, you know, maybe it's Utah. Uh, you know, if if they go four and two, I mean, that would be that would be pretty bad in my opinion. But I don't think that would be enough to fire him i just don't see them losing more than two games in this you know on this six game schedule that they already have uh you know on the slate if they did you know go like one and five or something like it'll win the rest of the game like maybe but it's just so hard right now because of his buyout is so big because you got all these assistant coaches that are signed and really just the athletic department doesn't have money to to burn and you're going to be relying on boosters to basically flush a bunch of money down the toilet to get rid of him i know the fans really want to change the fans don't you know most of the fans do not want clay helton to be the head coach but i just don't see anything happening on the field in 2020 that would allow the athletic department even if they wanted to make a change to make one
2: uh ryan abraham is here with us he covers the trojans for uscfootball.com is this the best team that that helton has had during his time as the head coach
4: i think it's a good question i mean if it was a regular year, um, the talent that they brought back is a lot. I mean, I think the offense has a chance to be really special. Uh, We've seen, you know, guys like Armand Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughns, but have a a guy like Drake London emerge like he did in the opening game. I mean, they are the best receivers in the Pac-12 by far. And, uh, you know, Keaton Slovis, FBS records for accuracy for a freshman quarterback, you know, in the whole country. So, I mean, they, they can move the ball. And they got some, you know, they got some running backs and stuff. And we'll see how the defense, if it's going to be you know as highly ranked as some of the other ones i mean as far as results go like the you know even when they won the rose bowl like the 2016 season they they start off one and three that year so i mean i mean clayton teams haven't lost lost less than three games uh in in any of his years so this year they probably won't be losing three games so you could argue uh but talent on the field wise i think this could be up there with with those but the problem is i think that could be a significant drop-off for 2021. But, yeah, I mean, this will be in the contention if it's not. Uh, but, like I said, most of the other teams, they've, they they might have had good results, won the Pac-12 or, or whatever, but they've they have lost at least three games. We just haven't seen a, a cleaner season come out from a Clay Hilton team.
3: So you talked a little bit about Keaton Slovis. Uh Can you kind of build up on that and just give me kind of what, what you think of him?
4: It's really interesting because he comes in and as a three-star kid out of Arizona, and usually USC has, like, Every other year is a five-star recruit coming out for a quarterback. And then you might get a three- or four-star guy that's sort of like a backup. They're just going to be around on the roster. Maybe they transfer out. And when he came in, we assumed he was going to be the 4th string quarterback. And i got to give Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator, credit. He had Keaton Slovis as the number two guy coming out of uh, you know, fall camp. And it was really curious. He was like, really? like He's going to be the number two guy? And we got an opportunity to see him right away. You know, JT Daniels gets hurt in the first half of the first game of the season and Slovis is thrust into the spotlight and performed well, I think for someone that wasn't preparing to be the starter and you look at, you know, down the stretch, he had four, 400 yard games. I mean, he had a 500 yard game against UCLA and four of his receivers each went over hundred yards. He really was able to showcase his talents and adapt to this kind of air raidish type of offense that Graham Harrell was running and pick it up and make the right reads and, uh, we wanted to see how we could grow from year one to year two. And the coaches are saying that he's made better decisions where sometimes you were forcing it in and you turned the ball over. He had a few, like three interception games last year. Uh, he had one interception against Arizona state, but for the most part, the coaches thought when it wasn't there, he checked it down and that's all they wanted to do. It's basically taking what the defense is going to give you, have guys just, you know, find open spots and you just hit them. And uh, he was able to do that really effectively. He was about 72% passing, against Arizona State that actually didn't even look that sharp. So if you can, like, not look that sharp, throw for over 380 yards and 72% um, with a couple of touchdowns, that's a pretty good indication that he's a a talented guy, and with this system that's very quarterback-friendly, I really think the the sky's the limit. So it's a shortened season, so the numbers aren't going to pop this year, but I I think he could have, you know, of the six games or seven games, I mean, I think, you know, three or four of them, he could probably go for over 400 yards. He almost did against... Arizona State but I think the next couple he'll probably go over for 400.
3: Is Amon Ross St. Brown the best receiver on this team?
4: I would have said that uh all last year and I would have said that coming into the season but watching what Drake London was able to do I mean he's so much bigger um we see him catch like a little slant over the middle and just bowl through guys and make some key plays including the uh the game winner off his fingertips in traffic on fourth and nine against Arizona State. You know in the final minute of the game yeah i mean drake london i think is going to compete for that spot too i think as far as reliability goes alman ross a. brown has done it uh he's a special player just is, you know his dad is former you know mr universe and he just works out all the time the pandemic was no problem for him he's got this full gym at his house so he's he's someone that came in extremely prepared and he looks better every year we see him come out but as far as like there's some physical limitations just he's not that big or what you know He's not the super, you know, the fastest guy in the world. For a guy like Drake London, I just see as there's a, there's a lot of potential there. So you could say probably Alvin Rossay Brown's still the best right now, but man, um, Drake London it looks like he could be just another special receiver from USC.
2: Does he remind you of somebody like Mike Williams, who was at USC for a couple of years during the Pete Carroll years?
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was Mike Williams had this kind of raw power and was it, I think it was like before you saw a lot of like the bigger receivers and there was just a lot I think there was a lot of small cornerbacks in the Pac-10 back then and I remember him just pushing over like UCLA's corners and stuff he really just powered through people and you know now, now we've seen a lot you know bigger receivers but you know big athletic guys and I think Drake London's in that mold but he you know even if you want to compare him to someone it almost would be like a the tight end kind of aspect of stuff like a you know antonio uh, gates or guys like that tony gonzalez like guys that played basketball but also played tight end now he's not that big um but as far as the receiver stuff goes he, they kind of use him in that tight end role slotty kind of stuff a lot of times so there's yeah i think those are some good comparisons there we'll see if he kind of grows if he wants to get you know bigger and, and maybe move into like one of those athletic tight end roles or just continue what he's doing at receiver
2: ryan what positional group is a major concern for the trojans this season
4: I think you got to look at two. Um, Thought the offensive line was going to be an issue, and they didn't play great. But as long as they don't have injuries, I think they're going to be fine. Um, They they want to use the tight ends more in this offense, and I think on the offensive side of the ball, they just they graded out the worst. It just they only had two catches, they didn't block well, and they were used quite a bit uh, in the offense. So it's either going to be a thing where just go to four wides and get the tight end off the field, or get them to be more productive and they just weren't as far as the units go on offense they were the least productive by far counterparts on the defensive side i would say the linebackers uh, you know mostly were using two linebackers with palier you know, and and rail and go forth you could call you know drake jackson the linebacker but he was mostly on the line of scrimmage and it looked like a four-man front most of the time but those linebackers just kind of ran themselves out of plays they couldn't get out of blocks they weren't moving the ball they looked like they were confused and not really making you know these quick decisions and uh and able to put themselves in a position to make plays again you know your two linebackers such like middle linebackers they have one solo tackle between them and that's just not going to cut it so i think on the offensive side they need more production from the tight end group with a keep your eye on the offensive line and on defense there's definitely the linebacker uh
2: usc is playing against arizona this week they are at Arizona. and According to Bovada, the Trojans are minus 14 versus the Wildcats. How do you see this game unfolding? Will we see the USC that we saw against the Arizona State in the final three minutes, or will we see USC that, that struggled you know, during the, the first three quarters?
4: It's going to be interesting because Arizona didn't get to play their opener, so we've seen most teams come out with some rust. There's some early turnovers, and you might see that from the Wildcats. I think the lockout offense can be pretty good, but the defense is thin. Uh, They got walk-ons on a two deep at linebacker. They're running a new system. It's, uh, I mean, I I don't think Arizona is going to be a very good team this year, but I'm not one that usually would, you know, take USC when they're a a heavy favorite. Um, They tend not to cover the spread. We're 11 point favorite or something favorite against Arizona state and just squeak that one out. Um, I kind of think this is going to be more of a touchdown 10 point sort of win for usc where there's some sloppy play and maybe some more turnovers and stuff but easily i mean i could easily see usc blowing uh, the wildcats out but it's just it's hard for me to pull the trigger on something like that just knowing they haven't been great as far as uh, as heavy favorites in a lot of those games so i think they're going to score some points i think arizona is going to run the ball pretty well and they can kind of uh control the clock a little bit so maybe you keep it closer and something like a 40 to 30 kind of kind of win
3: so since there's a short schedule this year, is is that enough to get a spot in the college football playoff if the Trojans run the table the rest of the way?
4: I think you have to look impressive. And if it's like a USC or an Oregon um and they get the you know, they get all their games in and they, you know, get a good opponent in a championship, you know, if both of them are undefeated, that would be ideal. So you get that seventh win is a pretty important one. Um, I think there's a shot and you kind of need chaos in the rest of the country and you kind of need the pac 12 to not have any more cancellations you can't you know having two games canceled in the first week so I think a lot has to go right we are seeing chaos across the country I mean having the SEC cancel four games this weekend uh, that's a big deal and that could happen a few more times and if that does you're not talking about you know you're talking about an SEC champ that maybe has played eight or nine games and and USC would have played seven you know like that's that's at least mm-hmm. a lot closer, um, you know, something like that. So we're seeing some chaos across the country, but the problem is you kind of need chaos there and then also the Pac-12 to kind of figure their stuff out and and not have a bunch of canceled games because that's going to hurt too. But it's, uh, I mean, it's not out of the question, but USC, I think, needs to look a lot more impressive than they did uh, against Arizona State, or it wouldn't even matter.
3: Ryan, tell our listeners what they can find at uscfootball.com.
4: Yeah, we started back in 96, if you can imagine that crazy uh, early internet stuff. And we just have constant content going up, stories and podcasts and photos and videos and anything you would want to know about USC football recruiting or the team we edge uh, covered. So uh, lots of we got lots of writers working out there, lots of analysis. And uh, if you like USC, that's definitely the place you want to go.
2: Thanks for being with us. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. We have another guest on the show. His name is Damian Sordelet. He covers Liberty football for News Advance. Damian, welcome to the show. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's a- yeah, it seems like it's a fun time to, to be a Liberty fan, and it's also a fun time covering this team. You know, Liberty has improved to 7-0. and They're ranked number 22 in the AP polls right now. Uh, how has head coach Hugh Freeze been able to turn this program around so quickly?
1: Uh, he's been able to build off a foundation that um you know Turner Gill, the previous coach, I don't think gets enough credit for what he did in uh building a good foundation for this program. Um if you go back to twenty eighteen, Liberty's first year in the FBS and they were still considered in the transitional phase at the time, I went six and six and you know, for you know an FCS, for FCS to FBS program, I think they were one of the first team in quite a few years to actually you know, record six wins in a year in the first FBS year, and then um, you know Hugh Freeze had a good foundation build off of. Uh, he was able to get the, the types of players he wants in the program. Uh, you know, really athletic, good defensive linemen, um, skilled position players that are really um, dynamic in open space. And you know, went to the Cure Bowl last year, won it, and you know, been been a while since you know you've had a program in its first. Uh, full eligible season, make it to a bowl game and win. And you know what he's been able to do this year is understand the offense can be dynamic with Malik Willis um, at quarterback but needs to slow things down so that way a defense that's still growing and still needs more depth isn't on the field quite as much. And you look at the success they had against Virginia Tech. The defense played 58 snaps, and a key this year has been, you know, having the defense play fewer than 60 snaps this year. And the only time they've gone over the 60 snap threshold was against Southern Miss in a game that, you know, they won comfortably, uh, 56 to 35. So uh, that's been a key for them this year. So that way, you know, the defense doesn't get worn out, doesn't get, you know, beaten up, and then you know, the offense has shown it can score points. With Willis, you know, the dynamic dual threat quarterback leading the way.
3: It was a thrilling end to the Virginia
1: Tech game. What's a win like that mean to this program? It means quite a bit. Um, If you look at prior to this year, Liberty was 0-8 against ACC teams, and they'd only been in one game, and that was against Wake Forest, if you go back to, like, 2012 in Turner Gill's first year. You know, they actually played really well against Wake Forest in that game, but most other ACC games, you know, they hung around for a while but got worn down. You know, this year, you know, to go up to Syracuse and win that one pretty handily was big. But beating a Virginia Tech team that had been ranked this year was still in the receiving votes category, was still considered among the top tier of the ACC. That could arguably be the biggest win in program history just because where this program's at, I mean, still 50% of the roster was recruited at the FCS level. Um, Hugh Freeze has only had one full recruiting class, so you haven't, haven't been able to get in you know, the types of athletes that need that are needed to compete at this level on a week in week out basis. From a program standpoint, it was a huge win to beat uh, in-state Power Five program for the first time. They were combined with 0 and 3 against UVA and Virginia Tech prior to Saturday, so that was a huge win for them and a you know a statement win to you know first week in the top 25 for the AP. So uh, that was a big one for them to prove that they were validated to be in the AP top 25 poll and to prove that you know this program has a ceiling that is far from being reached right now. And you know with the resources on campus and you know a coaching staff in place that knows how to win. You know that was a good win to you know get them going and keep them going this year.
3: I want to talk a little bit about Malik Willis, their quarterback. Uh, what's impressed you the most about him?
1: Well, his throwing um, for starters. Um, if you look at you know his two years backing up Jarrett Stenham at Auburn in 2017-2018, he came in in mop up duty and wasn't asked to throw the ball a lot. So there was still the uncertainty of can this guy throw the ball at a high level ken austin the quarterback's coach and co-offensive coordinator you know he's got a background of really grooming quarterbacks and you know getting the most out of them from you know from his days of playing at Ole mess and then being a quarterback in the canadian football league to being a head coach and a successful um you know general manager and administrator in the pfl he knows how to develop talent and the key with getting willis into being such a good passer is a lot of times when you have a mobile quarterback when you scramble you don't reset your hips with your shoulders and you sometimes you're throwing off balance and that throws your mechanics off and a lot of times during camp when Willis didn't get everything reset everything he missed was high and you know that came down to you know them slowing the game down for him and making sure as he's thinking as quickly as he is to get his hips and his shoulders aligned and what we're seeing now is is a very fundamentally sound passer who's completing at what a 67% clip uh, has accounted for 19 touchdowns and only thrown one interception. Uh, That's been the biggest development I've seen out of him because we knew he could run. Um, The fact that now these defenses have to respect what he can do with his right arm, uh, and now instead of adding that extra guy to the box to stop him running, now you have to account for the fact that he might be able to pick you apart throwing the ball. And that's what what has made this offense so potent it is because that true dual threat nature, uh, not only do you have to account for the plus one in the run game, you have to account for the fact that he can beat you if, if there's a lapse in coverage. And that's something that's really helped this offense become much more efficient this year is having that ability out of Malik Willis.
3: Liberty lost uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden to the draft. He was a senior bowl guy. But these wide receivers have stepped up this year. Tell us about this group as a whole.
1: Yeah, it's a group that really hasn't had a chance to really as a whole be on the field at the same time this year. DJ Stubbs has put up some really good numbers this year out of the slot and as a senior you expect him to do that. Mario Douglas as a redshirt freshman has proven that you know he is that guy that will take over in the slot with his speed and his footwork and his really good hands. Uh, but we haven't seen a lot out of CJ Yarbrough and Noah Frith this year because of injuries. Uh, Yarbrough had Jones fracture surgery before training camp and that really limited him. And then he had a right shoulder injury that has kept him out of a lot of games. Uh, Noah Fritz aggravated a foot injury uh, that forced him this first game, suffered a hamstring injury against FIU and finally played again this past weekend against Virginia Tech. And uh, the two of them are really dynamic playmakers on the outside. Yarbrough 6'3", 210, Fritz 6'4", They're really exceptional route runners. They have good hands. And now that Malik Willis has his full arsenal out there, able to see that he can distribute the ball around quite a bit. And I'd be remiss to not add Kevin Shaw in the mix. He's probably the fastest player on the team and uh, showcased his awareness on a scramble for Willis there in the early second quarter uh, where he was scrambled out of the pocket on third down, made a guy miss, did a spin move, and threw one down the sideline that Shaw ran under, caught, got both feet in bounds, and that set up a touchdown two plays later. You know, Yarbrough spurned some Power 5 offers to go to Liberty, yeah, uh, Frick was a um, late bloomer who, um, you know, Liberty was able to target and able to beat out some in-state uh, recruits from Georgia. Um, teams wanted him there, and Liberty was able to get him. So, uh, you know, this receiver core, um, I don't think has yet to scratch the surface of what they can do. And that's going to be scary because if you add more playmakers from Malik Willis to throw the ball, too, uh, that only makes Liberty that much more dangerous.
2: Damien, we've talked about Malik Willis and what he has meant to this team this year, but who is the unsung hero for this team who no one is talking about?
1: It's going to have to be linebacker Anthony Butler, the graduate transfer from Charlotte. Uh, he has been the anchor... For this defense. Uh, he played every snap against Virginia Tech. He plays most every snap at Mike Linebacker um, and he is a short tackler. He's a leader and he's been able to make plays all around the field and that's just you know, the type of guy he is and that's been something that Liberty has needed uh, this year because the linebacker room is so bad. They graduated Solomon Ajayi and Brandon Tillman from last year's team. Amari Jenkins was supposed to get some good play this year but he suffered a pretty bad injury in camp and they're not expecting him back until maybe, you know, here late in the season, so you've been rotating. They've been rotating only three linebackers this year: uh, Aaron Pierre and Tyron Dupree at the will, and then you know Butler's been getting virtually every snap at the mic, and. Uh, he's lived up to the hype, and he's made this defense much better. Uh, because that was the question mark for this team this year was could the defense take a step forward like it did last year? You know, because of Freeze's play calling on offense, and then how fresh those guys are on defense. Butler and those guys can play 50, 60 snaps a game because it's so spread out, and still be, you know, playing at a high level. And I think Butler's emergence there at linebacker in his first season at Liberty is really been a key cog to why Liberty has you know
2: gotten to 7-0. and uh, How has Liberty been doing on the recruiting trail under Hugh Freeze? Uh, they're doing
1: really well in fact uh, uh, defensive lineman out of Georgia Christian Zachary had offers from what like, 25 power five programs Alabama Georgia Georgia Tech Florida State among those and he chose to go to Liberty if he it stands and he signs with Liberty. Uh, not only will he be the highest rated recruit to ever sign there, he'll be the first one in the ESPN 300 uh, to sign with Liberty. And that is a big get if Liberty is able to pull that off to be able to get a kid who um, was a three star composite breaking according to 247 Sports. ESPN has him listed as a four star those are the types of battles that Liberty has to win. And Liberty's not going to win all those battles because, you know, how many kids are want to go play for Liberty versus playing for like an SEC or an ACC program. But if you can win a couple of those battles and, you know, be able to secure some guys who can be game changers, that's what Liberty needs as it grows to the program. And, um, you know, right now they've been able to stockpile a whole lot of uh, three star guys, um, Especially on the lines, on offensive defensive lines, they've been able to have some success there, and so far, and they've been getting some skill guys, especially in the secondary, who are you know, three-star prospects. And um, as you add those guys, you know that's going to help this Liberty team. And right now, they're on pace to have the best recruiting cra- class in program history, topping the one from last year that Freeze signed. And you know, this is first full recruiting class. So right now, uh, being at seven and zero, being top twenty-five, that only has helped Liberty in its recruiting.
3: Will this team go undefeated, or do you see a roadblock with them playing against Coastal Carolina?
1: I, I would say the first roadblock is going to be NC State um, there on November 21st. Um, that's going to be the third ACC team of the year, and you know the Wolfpack are no pushovers. I mean, I honestly don't know how they lost to Miami um, <laughs> this past weekend. Uh, that was a crazy end of that game. NC State's going to be a test for Liberty. I'm not sure how Liberty's going to prepare for them, if they're going to have to go with same mindset of slowing the ball down against NC State. Because I'd be remiss, remiss not to tell you that Liberty had a what, 38 to 22 edge in time of possession against Virginia Tech, and that was the reason why they were able to win. Because you know Tech's offense wasn't on the field that much, and uh, if you're going to slow down the Wolfpack, you need to make sure they don't have the ball. So that's going to be a potential roadblock, and if Liberty can get over that, I mean. Depending on what Coastal does, I mean, they still have App State on the schedule, um, same weekend, uh, November 21st. Uh, if both teams can get there undefeated, it'll be a heck of a story for two teams that just within the last half decade were uh, competing in the Big South Conference of the FCS, and now they're you know would potentially be you know a top 15 matchup. And yeah, that'd be a heck of a story to write. Hopefully, it gets there, but you know, still two road, still roadblocks for both teams to get there if we're going to have that type of uh, high profile matchup in Conway.
2: Uh, let's circle back to Hugh Freeze. He was obviously at old Miss before he ran into some trouble there. I'm sure a few Power 5 schools will show interest again in the offseason. What is your gut telling you? Uh, will he stay at Liberty?
1: Yes, my gut is telling me he will stay there. He has made it clear on some national radio shows that there are very, very few opportunities out there that he would, Entertained, and I think right now he's happy at Liberty. His family is happy at Liberty. Uh, all three of his daughters are in school there, and two of his younger ones transferred from Auburn and Old Miss to go to Liberty. They, I think, they have found a home in Lynchburg because, you know, the community is really tight knit. And, you know, he's a member of uh, probably the nicest golf course in the area. And, you know, he's got a lot of friends over there that he's made in the last year plus And I think he's starting to feel at home in Lynchburg, even though he's more of a Southern guy and, you know, the SEC would probably be really appealing uh, for him. But I think, you know, he's going to be around, you know, his most recent contract extension, which came this past December, had a pretty good buyout attached to it. And in this COVID era where, you know, universities are having the slash programs for budget purposes and uh, you're not getting the gate revenue from from having limited attendance i don't know if any program's going to be in the position to buy out a current coach and then buy out freeze at liberty because you're going to be talking about a pretty penny and you know then you're gonna have to pay him you know what he's making what two million a year now at liberty which makes him one of the higher paid group of five coaches you're gonna have to pony up some money to get him so and that's before paying his salary you know, I don't think a lot of programs are in a position to make that type of move, and if they try to, I mean I don't even know if Hugh Freeze is going to take the call because he's so happy with Liberty um, and being in a position he is right now with the resources, have a $29 million indoor facility. Uh, they just upgraded the football operations center by expanding it and spending $25 million to make it power five level. You know, they just spent about 50 plus million renovating Williams stadium. So just in facilities alone, they've invested a hundred million dollars within the last, you know, five six years Uh, you know the resources are in place for him to be there and if he wants to stick around in an environment that suits his Christian personality and is a good one for his family you know he can build a good program there and that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from him is that he's going to have a hard time leaving Liberty because it's an environment that works for him it fits his personality and you know his family loves it there and it will be hard-pressed to have them uprooted for position where you know they might not be fans of it
2: damien uh please tell our listeners where they can find your work all
1: right yeah you can find me on twitter at um my twitter handle d-a-m-i-e-n s-o-r-d-e-l-e-t-t and then um daily i have content at newsadvance.com feel free to check that out and um i appreciate you guys having me on it's been fun and uh, hopefully we get a chance to do this again as liberty uh keeps going
2: Yeah, thanks for being with us, Damon. We appreciate it. This was another episode of uh, BlitzCast. Thank you for listening. Take care.